I am a poster child for Birthright Israel. For those of you who don't know, Birthright Israel is the wildly successful program that has sent hundreds of thousands of young American Jews to Israel for a transformative 10-day all-expense-paid trip. I grew up in a Reformed Jewish household, but without a hint of Zionism or connection to Israel. When I reached 25, after traveling to many other countries, a good friend recommended that I apply for Birthright. What do you have to lose, he said. It's a free trip and you love to travel. Thus began a love affair that has only grown with my age. I can't explain why it happened, but as I got off my plane at Ben Gurion Airport two decades ago, I was overwhelmed with a sense of time, place, and history. It was like something pre-engineered into my body had activated. I touched the ground of the runway, picked up a stone, and kissed it. This is a Jewish stone! As someone acutely aware of my minority status my whole life, finally, I was among family. I was home. Years later, I moved to Israel. I worked on a kibbutz, learned Hebrew, and discovered the land, plowing her seas, hiking her hills and valleys, serving in the army. I don't pretend to say that Israel is easy, but she is worth everything, and in this one rabbi's modest opinion, a relationship with Israel is critical to leading a full Jewish life. It provides meaning, wisdom, and stability in a world full of storms. Welcome to Seeking Sinai, the monthly podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta, where we explore the great spiritual questions of why. Last month, we were in conversation with Rabbi Sam over the question, why remember? This month, we continue the conversation where we left off with the question, why Israel? Bruchim Abayim, welcome from wherever you are listening. I'm Rabbi Natan, Director of Adult Learning. I'm happy you're with us. Sam, welcome back. Why, thank you. It's great to be here. Two episodes in a row with you, a few weeks apart. What luck. What luck. So uh, so we're here to discuss a topic that is so profoundly important to both of us. I've always said, as you know, that Israel is a magical place. So um, I want to start this off with a, a personal and somewhat loaded question. We met in Israel. It was there we first got to know each other. Say perhaps a Jewish homeland were developed in a place like Uganda, an idea that circulated many years ago, would our romance have developed? I mean, I think our romance is just so pure and true it would have developed anywhere. However, Israel gave it that extra special something. Good answer. I, li- I like that. Thank you. We should have rehearsed that beforehand. That was pretty good. We should have. <laughs> so uh, let's start off with a, a pretty basic question, but one that is still confusing to many and one that's very relevant today. Well, what does the word Zionism mean? To me, and I think to everyone, Zionism means the right to govern yourself, the right to a sovereign state for the Jewish people, the belief that Jewish people deserve a homeland. It's a, it's a word that's uh, so often been usurped, uh, taken from us these past few years and almost leveled at us as an accusation mm-hmm. that it's important to say that, yeah, Zionism is the Jewish right to self-determination. Uh, just as what's the, the line in, in Hatikva, Liot am chofshi be'ratzenu? to be a, a free people in our own land. Um, so uh, starting off with a, another um, quote that I once heard that I found so powerful, it was um, from one of the most articulate speakers on Israel I've ever heard, the vice president of, um, of uh, education for Birthright Israel, 
Zohar Aviv. He said something to the extent, and, and it's really stuck with me these years, Jews all have one homeland, irrespective of the home in which you reside. What are your thoughts on that? What does it mean to you to have a Jewish homeland? What do you think it should mean ideally to others? Great question. One that has many, many answers. But I'll start by saying that Jews are an indigenous people. If you look at our history, if you look at our roots, we are an ethnic group with a land-based agricultural religion that revolves around our ancestral lands. Our Jewish holidays are land-focused, right? Think about Sukkot. When we pray, where do we turn? We turn towards Israel. We pray in Hebrew, the language of our ancestors. And we have a sacred relationship to the land of Israel because of what happened there, because the Jewish people started there. So much of our Jewish culture is based around our desire to be in our specific homeland, in this specific place, related back to what you were saying about Uganda. So when you ask what does it mean to have a homeland, for me, it means for us to have a safe haven where we have roots. And we're definitely still working on making it a place where all forms of Judaism are able to be expressed and accepted. But for me, the main points are, one, a homeland is a safe haven. Two, a homeland is a place that has historical significance. And three, in my own life, it has truly developed into a place with some of my most profound and happy and sacred memories and really has shaped me as a person. I I love how you frame that in such a positive way. It's something that you spoke about last month on our podcast about why remember, about the, the pitfalls of remembering only the negative things that have happened to the Jewish people as opposed to the positive, the way you frame your own relationship with Israel in such positive terms. Uh, in terms of Israel, many people, including Jews, tend to only think of how the media portrays Israel, of the conflict, the intractable Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Putting the conflict aside for the moment, what would you want people to think about and, uh, and reflect about Israel? So there's so much that I want people to know. I'm going to thank my friend Hen Mazik for framing it this way. You can love Israel, but dislike Israel's actions and the actions of its government. You can love Israel and dislike the actions of some Israelis. You can love Israel and dislike the views of other Israel supporters. You can love Israel and also love Palestinians at the same time. So I want to put that out there as a way for us to put the conflict aside. And I think that we often make sweeping generalizations, and it's important for us not to say that people who love Israel belong to a specific political group. Simply not true. So there's so many different ways and so many different things to know about Israel. And on a personal level, what I really want people to know is that Israel is a place where Judaism can be its most robust and fullest self, where Shabbat, it's really a day of rest, where the Jewish calendar dictates society, where the history of our people is so rich and so full. And I don't want to be too juvenile in this description, but when you walk the streets of Jerusalem on Friday night and you smell the chicken soup, and you hear the blessings being sung out the windows, and you hear the clanking of forks, people joining together for a meal, that, that's a Jewish homeland, a place where we can go to explore and express our Judaism. Every street name is soaked with meaning. I get chills just thinking about it and all the learning and growth that has taken place there for me personally. So so many ways to think about it. There's so many things I want to know. It's such a rich, rich, rich place. 
I, I love the way you described uh, like Shabbat, uh, Shabbat, the first time that I experienced that walking uh, the streets of Jerusalem, the, the, the quiet, uh, seeing the moon, hearing all of the, the sounds and smelling all of the, the smells. The challah uh, baking. It's, it's really an amazing thing that it's hard to encapsulate in words sitting here in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so the, the, the way you described that, it really made a relationship with Israel seem so real. And yet nowadays we hear about so many, especially young American Jews, feeling disconnected from Israel, disengaged. Uh, why is this? And what do you think that we can do to reverse this trend? I think the biggest reason people feel disconnected is it's complicated and it's overwhelming, right? Like you see this country in the news and you've learned about it in a vague sense, maybe as a young adult, and it's hard to even understand the conflict and how it all started and where it all is going and where it's all taking us. So I think for me personally, young American Jews are not disconnected because of the policies. I think it's more because simply it's overwhelming. It's complicated. How do we really get to know Israel? Israel's intimidating. So I think personally that lack of exposure is really the biggest problem. And all we can do is continue to expose. Of course, as you know, there are so many organizations that are working on this notion of exposure, honeymoon Israel and birthright. Um, But still, there's still so much to learn and understand. And people often walk away from those trips with more questions than answers. Um, I think it's our follow-up in the Jewish community from these trips that really needs work to help people feel more connected and interested. I also want people to know, people often, Israel gets a bad rep, and I want people to know that Israel is really trying. That, yes, sometimes it's governed, or oftentimes it's governed, and decisions are made by a, a rabbinate and rabbis who ideals don't align with those of us who are more progressive Jews. But people are working really, really, really hard. There are many very smart people who want Israel to flourish and grow, and that should inspire us and excite us and want to connect. Um, and people should know that you don't have to know everything to have a relationship with Israel. I, I um I hear the the love of Israel whenever whenever you speak and that 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 idea of um of loving Israel Ahavat Israel is really um a Jewish commandment and yet there are um there are synagogues and there are even rabbis who don't want to touch it it's uh it's something that's red hot it's too controversial they'd rather keep it away from the pulpit keep it away from the synagogue altogether and yet for you it's something that like you really uh, eat and, and breathe and kind of pulses throughout you so um as a rabbi. How does that work for you? Do you feel an obligation to speak about Israel from the pulpit often, to to teach about Israel? For me, there are three main pillars of Judaism as far as I'm concerned. We have Torah, right, learning and study. We have Avodah, which means service to our world and community, and then we have Israel. And I think those three things make up Israel. Those three things, not make up Israel, I'm sorry, make up the Jewish people. Those three things are absolutely vital and essential to to the Jewish people. So I'm not saying that you have to believe what I believe, but I think discussing Israel as a community, as a congregation, as a rabbi, is an obligation that we have and one that I admittedly fall short on sometimes. Um, If I think about, or I'll phrase it this way, a lot of people ask me why I wanted to be a rabbi. And um, for me, it's really connected for Israel and to Israel. And that's where I kind of got this idea in my head. So to remove Israel from the equation is not really possible for me. And um, I'm going to vow to speak about her a little bit more and certainly going to make it the topic of my 
high holiday sermon, so there's a stay tuned, spoiler alert. Spoiler for 5783. That's right. Uh, maybe that's why uh, we get along so well, because uh, it's probably the main reason I decided to be a rabbi also, to be that, uh, that gesho, to be a bridge uh, between American Jews uh, and Israel and always create that dynamic, uh, long-lasting relationship. Uh, so um, dynamic. Israel is always dynamic. Israel is always changing. As we record this podcast now, we had a reminder of that just this past week when a few days ago we learned that Israel would be going to another round of elections, the fifth cycle of elections in three crazy. years. Crazy, crazy. It really is uh, pretty insane. So Naftali Bennett's, uh, the current prime minister's unique experiment of bringing together such a diverse coalition for a common interest survived about a year, a little over a year. Not to get too much into the weeds of politics in Israel, but do you have any thoughts on where Israel is now and in what direction you, in your humble opinion, would like to see her head? Yeah, of course, I have many thoughts on it. As it relates to elections and what we've experienced and witnessed this past year, I mean, it's, in a lot of ways, it's a miracle. I've never seen anything like this happen before. The most diverse government in Israel's history was formed. It was made up from people from the far left to the right. Um, of course, Israel's first Arab party was also in the coalition. And it gave me a sense of hope. It gave me a sense of feeling that perhaps in a country full of so many divisions that we might be able to set our differences aside for the common good. And this is actually a very Jewish thing to do, right? To try to set our differences aside to come together over for what's best for our people and for our community, to exist with disagreements and with tension and to still try to treat everyone, I'm going to say try, emphasize try, was to treat everyone with civility and respect. And so I hope that the spirit continues. I know we have a long way to go. I know that Israeli politics are faced with immense challenges, but at least we're moving in a better direction, a d direction of collaboration. At least that's what I like to think. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's so true. I, I really pray and hope that uh, that trend continues. Israelis are known for being a very uh, cynical and uh, and hardened uh, bunch of people, given their experiences uh, in Israel. And yet, I think this past year, this experiment has given a lot of Israelis and a lot of diaspora Jews and, and everyone a lot of hope that uh, the political environment can change. That uh, that that we're not anchored into any one kind. From your mouth to God's ears. But yeah, politics is, is really, it's, it's a full contact sport in, in Israel. Um, in terms of uh, politics a little bit more, in terms of geopolitics, uh, a lot's changed in the past few years uh, in Israel for those people who thought that the situation, the matzav, as we call it in Hebrew, the situation will always remain entrenched. It's actually been shaken up a lot the past few years. So the, um, the threats do remain, most notably Iran, Palestinian terror, terror groups and Hezbollah, but a new horizon has opened up in the Arab world with the Abraham Accords. Real peace with a growing list of Arab countries, soon perhaps even Saudi Arabia. Do these new peace agreements give you hope that Israel will finally find that elusive peace, even with the Palestinians as well, as her closest neighbors to the north, Syria and Lebanon? What do you, what do you think is, is a new chapter in store? Of course, this gives me hope, but you know I'm also cynical and remain sober to the many, many challenges that Israel faces as a country. Um, you know, the power isn't necessarily in Israel's hands. We're surrounded by many people, many nations who don't like us. You mentioned Hezbollah. You mentioned Iran. 
There's elements of the Palestinian territories. There are terrorist entities committed to Israel's destruction. So these people and these nations are not incentivized by peace and I'm not sure that they ever will be. But of course, this is a step in the right direction and certainly fills us with a little bit of excitement and hope that um, Israel is becoming more accepted by the Arab world. Amen. May it uh, may continue. I have uh, I have a lot of hopes of uh, for our next Israel trip, combining it with a trip perhaps to Bahrain or the UAE or even to uh, to Saudi Arabia. How how amazing would that be? Be interesting for sure. Um, so I, I I think as we mentioned before, Israel is celebrating a big milestone this coming year, fifty seven eighty three, starting uh, uh, in just a few months, uh, her seventy fifth birthday. Uh, not old for a country, but also not very young. After all, at that point in 1948, when Israel was founded, there were only 58 members of, of the you UN. You just called all of our members who were born after 1948 not very young. No, but I said it's not very old also. Oh, you're right, you're right. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but thanks for uh, for catching me. <laughs> uh, so given that status of kind of being somewhere in between not too old but not too young, uh, what what report card uh, would you give to Israel now? How How is she doing? I mean, there's so many facets, I think, a trope that always comes up in discussing Israel's. Israel's complicated. There's so many elements to her. So I can't give the country as a whole a grade, but I can certainly give the country as a whole an A for effort, an A for innovation, an A for healthcare. Um, What she's able to do is certainly amazing, and what she is trying to do and what she's aspiring to do is amazing. So certainly giving the country an A for inspiration, for vitality, for innovation, um, maybe other aspects a little bit less so, but let's theme also seems to be sticking with the good things. And, um, you know, it's very, I'm not going to say she's a straight A student, but she's doing pretty great. She's not, she's not. She's not doing too too bad. I mean, if, if you think about it, compared to, it's hard not to compare it to America, even though they're very different systems of governments uh, and countries. And yet, America, with all of her problems, America obviously is not a perfect state, um, as we get constant reminders of that. But America has been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel has been around for less than a hundred years. And if you look at the progress that it has made in just the past few decades, uh, it's really amazing and just gives so much voice to that, to, to that, that tikva, that, that hope that is so, such an integral part of the Jewish condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot of growth. Um, one thing that kind of sticks out for me is religious pluralism and how that's still a work in progress. But I love that, you know, on the report card, if you're going to, you know, you can get to get accomplished, not accomplished, work in progress. That's what you get. So a little asterisk for uh, religious pluralism, yeah. perhaps a few other things as well. Yes. Okay. Um, so in, in terms of that 75th birthday, what um, here at Temple Sinai, what are we doing to, uh, to, to, to elevate, to mark this momentous occasion? Super exciting. We have two upcoming trips to Israel. So if this conversation kind of piqued your curiosity, you can be in Israel with your Temple Sinai friends and family for her 75th birthday. Um, and if you're not able to physically go there, there are certainly ways that we can virtually celebrate and explore through many, many different Israel organizations that will be hosting online celebrations. Um, so I certainly hope that we'll participate. But I really think that we should make it a year at Temple Sinai dedicated to Israel, to learning more, to reading more. I mean, there's so many beautiful books, so many incredible Netflix shows to sing about Israel, to sing Israeli songs, to dance, to eat. Of course, the best part, I think, is the food as well. So I'm feeling a little bit disconnected. 
you know, a lot's been going on, and I'm hoping that this year really is a year that reinvigorates my relationship with Israel and certainly reconnects me. Yeah, talking about this disengagement, me and you, uh, we, we, we've, we've been there so many times. We spent so much time there, and now it's been four years, like through a variety of things, mostly COVID, that, uh, that has been working against us. But I uh, can't wait to get back there. Let's go. Um, also, from an adult education standpoint, from Limud, we're planning a lot of amazing events. We're going to do a four-part uh, scholar-in-residence series uh, focusing on Israel, classes on Israel, book discussions. Uh, so please uh, stay tuned and let us know of, uh, of any questions or suggestions. Uh, Rabbi Sam, Todah Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights on a topic that is just so crucial to the Jewish people and so important on a personal level to both of us. Am Yisrael Chai. Am Yisrael Chai. We look forward to raising up Israel throughout this upcoming year as we mark 75 years of Jewish independence in our homeland, even as we celebrate our lives as American citizens. And of course, uh, words of gratitude to Chaz Cloud, our AV manager here at Sinai, Thank you for your expert editing and publishing, Beth Schaefer, for the opening and closing music. And for our listeners, wherever you are, thanks for tuning in to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai Atlanta. If you have any questions about what we discussed today, please email myself or Rabbi Sam. This is our last scheduled podcast until we reconvene later in the summer and begin preparing for the High Holy Days and 5783. I promise you we're working on a, uh, a, a whole new slate of podcast material for next year. If you have any uh, suggestions or comments, uh, please let me know. I'm all ears. And if you have any burning questions between now and then, anything else you would like us to address, please let us know. Until then, Tzedchem Shalom. Go in peace. Thank you.